Greetings, programs and users. It is time once again for another episode of Old Nerds Drinking. I am John Patrick, the Master Control Program. Here with me again in the Nerd Cave studio is Rojan. Greetings, everybody. And we are Old Nerds, and today we are both drinking... Some kind of mule. London mule. Yep, this is... Some kind... We're drinking some kind of mule. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, it's gluten-free. What happened with that? But, uh, pre-mixed drink, London mule. I don't know who the, uh, distiller is of this. Probably just London mule. Gin yeah, mule. with natural ginger and lemon-lime flavor in a cylindrical tall can. Yeah. Yep. Alright, so, here you go. I guess, clink. Clink. Hmm... It's okay. You know, it's better if you pour it into a cup with ice and then squeeze like a lime wedge on it. Yeah, it's okay. I've had better mules, though. Mm -hmm. See, that's my thing. I like mules because I like that citrusy kind of with a little bit of bite. Um, I haven't made any mojitos yet this summer, but... I wonder how a mule would taste with my moonshine. If we can make a mule out of my moonshine and how it would be. Uh, it'd probably be fine. Uh, mules better, are... Yeah. If I took my, not to cut you off, but if I took my moonshine, because I'm, I'm now, um, I make um, margarita moonshine for a friend of mine, and I'm marinating, I'm, I'm letting lime soak in it. So I'm wondering if I took a jar of my moonshine, and I put actual ginger in there, and let the ginger steep in the moonshine, and then we make a mule out of that, how would that work? Yeah, the traditional mules made out of vodka, which, I mean, doesn't, ha vodka itself doesn't really have a flavor. Yeah. Everything else is the flavor of it, and the vodka is just the alcohol. So, yeah, your your uh, moonshine would probably work. I um, I propose we try it. One of these days, we will. Um, it's just lately I've been too damn, since I'm back to working, I'm yeah. too damn lazy to sit and take ten minutes to make a cocktail when I just want something to drink. So I found these at Meyers, and they're good. But like I said, it's better when you pour it in a copper mug with ice add like a lime wedge you know what we need to do we still need to do this we still need to make the mountain dew drink oh the dew garita i forgot all about still that need to do garita, and i'm also still i still need to make the mountain dew cheesecake so maybe maybe next episode i'll i'll make one and that'll give us what two weeks to get all this stuff together yeah if, if it, well well, yeah. well here's the thing i'm proposed well we may be having the whole crew over for fourth of july yeah that would be an excuse for me to pull out some of the recording gear. We can get some of all oh, man. all the nerd friends on the on the microphones. That might be chaos incarnate. Oh, but it's so much fun. It might be. I, I don't know, man. Like when on my show, I get real nervous when I have more than three guests on at a time because people want to talk over one another and stuff like that. We'll see. I mean, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot because I probably oh, yeah. won't be here until later in the day on the Fourth of July. But I'm probably oh, coming. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a good idea. It's a thought. So anyhow, the mule here, it's okay. Um, there's a weird aftertaste to it of some kind. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, there are a couple of good canned mules out there. This is okay. I've had worse here. Yeah. Oh God, I've had worse. We've had we've had much worse on the air. So this is this is drinkable. It's not quite swill. Yeah. It's it's um, not quite that uh, whiskey lemonade drink from like issue number three or four yeah. where it was just awful. What it needs is gluten. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's like, oh, it's gluten-free. So since we're doing this, um, before we get into the harder things, I brought over a bag of Takis, which is blue heat, um, new look, same intensity. And inside there are these. Here, I will give you one, and we shall try them on the air. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're going to do this again. Because if there's one thing that we've become, we've become, you know, connoisseurs of food and drink on this show, as it seems. Apparently. Um, which nobody seems to be complaining about, so I'm going to try it here. Um, they're okay. I will note that it has the Dorito effect on your fingers, but it's blue. Yeah. So, hot chili peppers. Actually, I've never seen... They're not bad. You know, it, it, it tastes very lime. I get a lot of lime in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're not bad. They're okay. You know, they're, they're not so hot that they... Uh, it says on the side of it, extreme heat. So that's what we're drinking. That's the food we're eating. Uh, where are we going to go from here? Where do you want to start? Uh, so one of the things I was doing right when you uh, when you came down is uh, next month, or excuse me, not next month, um, next week is uh, the annual prop store auction. Mm -hmm. And 
like a sadomasochist, I cruise the catalog looking for like all the cool stuff that's going to be on auction. But this this year, when they do this auction, there are some just amazing pieces. Like it's one of the Harrison Ford screen used fedoras from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, two Muppet heads from the 80s of Statler and Waldorf. But they also have some some like things that you wouldn't expect or things you wouldn't think you'd see. Uh, they have the cane Eddie Murphy used in uh, My Name is Dolomite, the, the Rudy Ray Moore story. The problem is, is that you already have too much shit. You don't oh. have the money to be going on to a replica prop store and dropping a lot of money on movie replica props. Oh, Not that I blame oh, you. Oh, no, no, no. Like, so, you know. 99% of everything in here is nothing I can afford. Like, Then this... why are you going if you can't afford it? <laughs> you remember when I said at the beginning of this sadomasochism? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's why. They have the rubber Tech 9 Kurt Russell used in Big Trouble in Little China. How much is that going for? Uh, the starting bid is $1,200. Is there anything on there that's cool that's cheap? Yes. So that's why I brought this up. Um, there was a movie in the 90s with Sean Connery and uh, Richard Gere by the name of First Night. I remember that movie. Yes. And it was a take on the Arthurian legend. Uh, Richard Gere was Lancelot. Uh, Kevin, or, uh, Sean Connery was King Arthur. I forget who played Guinevere. But they actually have a suit of armor, half armor, that Richard Gere wore. So it's a breastplate with a chain skirt and then like a shoulder uh, shield that he wore. And the starting bid on it is $300. And the expected bid is between 6 and 8 And it's like, wow, I could almost afford that. That's not bad for some That armor. is not bad for a move. And it, it is aluminum handmade this was made by a movie armorer so it, it's a made suit of armor mm -hmm. and for six hundred dollars i could have that displayed in my nerd cave no you won't there's too much shit in you can't display anything in here john anybody listening to the show that doesn't understand john's basement it's nerd paradise i will say that there is but there is GW shit everywhere. There's D&D stuff, like, literally everywhere. When I came into the studio tonight, I had to clean off the recording desk because you had pieces uh, for a 40K oh, yeah, yeah. Titan. Uh, uh, a Titan, or a giant Warhammer miniature that I'm 3D printing, and it comes in parts, and I had to glue the parts together so they were sitting on the table clamped together. Like, you, ha you, you, you would have... There's... There's no room in here for anything <laughs> at all. Oh, I know. I know. I, I don't have a place to put it, but like, you know. I know. I get it. I get it. That would be something that should be in display like in your front room upstairs. Oh, heck yeah. You know. Like you have a copy of the movie poster. Yeah. Like a light, like LED, like lights shining down on it from mm -hmm. above. Yeah, that would that would be cool. And, and, and you know, it, it's really cool to be able to say you own a piece of a movie. Yeah, I get that. Um, And I mean, oh, there is some. Speaking of which. I, I forgot all about this, and I'm glad you bring it up. I cannot prove that these are real, but they are real. I have movie slides downstairs in the basement, and I'll give you a couple of them, that are from the original, they are from the cutting room floor of the original Star Wars movies when they were going in and doing editing, mm -hmm. the stuff that they edited out, certain scenes that they edited out. I have tiles of these scenes that was given to me by a guy who worked on the original Star Wars movie back in the day, and he was just cleaning all the stuff up, and for whatever reason, he kept them. The problem is, is I have no way of proving or verifying that these are actually real other than this guy's word. And I do believe what he says because he has that was what he did first time. He used to work on movie props and models and stuff way back in the day. Um, and then he got a job working for one of the big three, helping to sculpt cars and stuff out of clay for demo models. But so I will give you some of these. Um, and they're just all of these different pieces of movies that were left on the cutting room floor from the initial original cut of them with the master cut that they make the rest of the copies from. And I can't prove that they're real, but you can hold them up in the light and look at them. And there's like yeah, some Tarkin, um, and there's some Luke Skywalker ones and stuff like that. Uh, we talked about, I used to work at the uh, Wind Up Movie Theater, um, and we had to cut the movies together. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because... Which immediately makes me think of Fight Club. So funny you should mention that. Um, we, we didn't have porn 
mm-hmm. that we could splice into it uh, when we had to add the royals together. What we did have was a copy of The Frighteners, one of Peter Jackson's first movies mm-hmm. with uh, Michael J. Fox. So we would find like the scary bits in this one reel of The Frighteners, and we'd use that when we were splicing together the movies. So for a split second scene, the little tiny cigarette burn would pop up in the corner, and for a split second, you would have a, sli- a movie sliced into it. No, because uh, the cigarette burns were from where you would have multiple projectors, each with uh, one reel. This was, you would have the giant platter with the whole movie on the platter. Yep. So you wouldn't see the cigarette burn. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so you would see that split second of a scene, or like a frame or two of the Frighteners. I actually... I used to have a box of trailers, like film trailers, and one of them was The Phantom Menace. And I'm kind of sad I got rid of it. It's, I mean, they're not really worth anything. Um, and but even it, still, it's cool to have. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like in this, the, the prop store auction, they have Ewan McGregor and uh, the guy who played Darth Vader in episode three. Hayden Christensen, Mm -hmm. they have their dueling lightsabers from Attack of the Clones. Or not Attack of the Clones. Uh, What was the third one? Revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. Which is probably the best of the three. Yeah. So, like, the carbon fiber stunt blades that they were whacking each other with. They've got those in the auction. Um, They have Eddie Valiant's Toon Gun from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. The physical prop of it. Mm -hmm. Um... There's a bunch of stuff from Aliens and the Aliens versus Predator movies in there. It's funny you bring that up. I'm, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but go ahead. No, I... You're done. <laughs> I purposely did this to segue okay. you into your... <laughs> so, I have found a modern updated recording um, of the original Alien book that the movie Alien was based off of. And uh, with I think it was written by Alan Dean Foster. So I went back and started listening to that, and um, it's really good, but it's very different than the movie. Like, mm-hmm. if you listen to it, it's it's much more, like, it takes forever to tell the story, but it's much more descriptive of everything in the movie. Right. It's very, you know, it's not as, like, in the movie, everything's much more compacted, but it's it's a really good book. It really is a good listen to if you are an Alien fan. And I'm about halfway through the first part of it, and it's just really neat to listen to, like, after seeing the movie. Um which Alien is one of those movies that if you go back and rewatch it, it still holds up pretty oh, yeah. well now. Yeah. And it's how old is it now? Is it 30? No, it's way old. It's more oh, than 30 years. Yeah, we're pushing 40. Uh, that was yeah. 81, 82. Yeah, because Blade Runner is pushing 40 at this point oh, as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, because he made, I think he made Alien before Blade Runner, I believe. Did he? Yeah, I think yeah. he did. So that shows you how old it is. But that movie still holds up. Um, special effects, movie writing. Um, it's it's a little hokey now because of technology and stuff, but it's still a very good, very intense, very cool watch. Um, and I did go back and I listened to um, the sequel to it on audiobook, and that is also very good. Yeah. Which was like, huh, I wonder if Alien is, is good. It's written by a different person, I believe. But going back and re-listening to the Alien audiobook for, that the story was based off, of, it's really cool. But... Like you can see, like you can see why that book was made into a movie and why Ridley Scott did it and everything. And um, it's weird because when they're describing stuff in the book, the movie the movie wasn't out yet, so they're trying to describe. This was before they decided to use Giger's artwork or whatever mm-hmm. to base it off of. So they're describing the stuff in the book, and you can you can read the book and you can hear it and you can see you can you can see why they went. You know what? We need to use Giger's stuff to represent what this book is talking about, you know, because it, it works so well. Like everything's right. all organic in the book and how they describe the ship and everything. And it's just really neat to go back and listen to it again, you know, and think back. I remember when I was a little kid, when that movie came out and uh, again, back to drive-ins, we saw it at the drive-in and it scared the shit out of me. Oh when yeah. I was a little yeah. Kid. And, you know? and it, it's another one of those where it's man, back in like the seventies and eighties, they knew how to scare you. Yeah. Um, and it was, you had to build up the suspense. Yeah. Like, it, in horror movies now, I mean, you usually get the gore in the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, like slasher films and stuff. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much I, I, I'll never forget when uh, they remade The Omen. And it was a big deal, because it was coming out on June 6th, 2006. So, 666. Yeah. 
and every single suspenseful moment of the movie was in the goddamn trailer. Mm-hmm. So I hate like, when trailers do that. So it's like, oh my god, I didn't need to see this movie. I literally, the trailer is the movie. Yeah. Um, and but... and aliens and like aliens, The Exorcist, Jaws, all those classic movies. No, they spent the whole movie building up the suspense to when you finally see the monster in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny you mentioned the audiobooks because I think we've talked about this before, but um, about sometime in the last couple of years, a uh, one of the original spec scripts for Aliens 3 emerged that was written by William Gibson when he was like the number one guy in the science fiction universe. When uh, right after he had written Neuromancer and it became like a worldwide phenomenon, uh, they tapped him to write a Aliens 3 script right after Aliens came out. And he wrote a script that was a sequel to Aliens, not the abomination that was Aliens 3. Actually, there is a different cut of Aliens 3 out there that is a far, far better movie. Well, it's... Um, from what I read, the the William Gibson script continues the story of aliens, and Ripley is not in most of the movie. And when they submitted it, um, it's a script about the Colonial Marines, uh, Michael Bean's character, Hicks, is like features in it, Bishop features in it. Um, it tells you why there is a colonial marine force, that there's this other uh, space government that the uh, corporation governments are fighting against, which are basically space communists. And the whole reason for why there is this colonial marine force that's out there. And the studio was like, well, like this series is Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver's the hero. We can't have a movie that Sigourney Weaver's not the hero in it. I get that. And he's like, oh, okay, but, you know, we've got all this story potential from Aliens. And then it's just like, like, I will I will unabashedly say Aliens, this Alien 2, Aliens, is the best movie in the series. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I could agree with that, yeah. And... Yeah. So there's this all this world building potential that's in Aliens and they go absolutely nowhere with it. And Aliens 3 is like almost barely connected to the other two. Mm-hmm. Well, the movie they did for Alien th- Aliens 3, the movie that got released in the theaters was a very different movie than what was actually filmed and what was done movie wise. They went back and re-edited that movie. And there is a superior copy of it. The director went out and redid his version of it, apparently. And there's a lot of stuff that's been added and a lot of stuff that's been taking out, taken out, et cetera. And from what I understand, I haven't seen it yet, but it's um, it's it's a much better flowing movie. Um, nowadays, though, with everybody having um, editing video technology at home, there was a person that took Prometheus and Covenant and re-edited them together as to one long, cohesive movie. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. Have you seen it? I have not. It's but... really, really good. It's like, I, I kind of wish I had seen that as opposed to seeing the other two movies because the movies take place kind of at the same time and it explains a much better story. It's a longer movie. It's a much longer movie. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's on Vivo. I will find a link and send it to you if, if you'll watch it. But yeah. it's, it's really good. There's a lot of audiobooks out there that go into that, which is what got me back into the whole Aliens thing because I was just scrolling through before I went to sleep and I came across this book called Aliens Bug Hunt. And what it is, is it's the story of those colonial Marines where the guy says, is this another bug hunt, sir? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all about, it's it's that crew of Marines going out and finding, like, it's not aliens, but it's a different kind of alien kind right, of thing. Right. And that's where the term bug hunt comes from. So it's all about, it was a good book. And then it just had me falling back down into that alien rabbit hole again. Oh, yeah. And, and the world, like, um, there's a uh, there's an Aliens RPG that's out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually, there actually was an Aliens RPG out in like the '90s, um, and I remember I remember going to uh, B. Dalton Books in the mall, and they had the like Colonial Marines technical manual there. Mm-hmm. And every time I would go there, I just look through it because it would have like all this 
all this like source information about the colonial marine force and the different units, all the tech they had, and it was just this book about the world. Um, but they just recently did a new Aliens RPG. There's a... Uh, you could just play Imperial Guard versus Tyranids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a... Um, Not the same. <laughs> there was an Aliens uh, miniature game, but when Fox or Disney bought Fox, they lost the license. So now there's a new board game called uh, Aliens Another... Another glorious day in the core, and it's kind of a board game version of playing the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, w- I wanted to get that and try it out. Um, but yeah, it's another one of those. That I love the world. I love the retro futurism of it. Yeah, I I was one of the things also. Like when I was listening to the Aliens book, it goes into much greater detail describing the ship that they're on. Oh, the Sulaco. Yeah, it, well, it describes it. It's it makes it. You get a more of a feel of how shitty that ship is. Oh wait, no, no, alien. So it's the uh, the Nostromo. Yes, the Nostromo, and it's also described differently. The Nostromo, when the book is described, is like a tug that's pulling all this stuff behind it. It it's, is. Well, like, in the what in the in aliens though, in alien, it was just one big ship. No, correct? it was not. Oh, they had stuff they were pulling. Yeah, okay. it was. Uh, there was the front end of it that was the the Nostromo, and then it was pulling this giant cargo module. Okay, so they uh, disconnected it in the movie when they landed on the planet. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Uh, which, uh, going back to the prop store, uh, several, I want to say about 10 years ago, they found the original Nostromo model Mm -hmm. and it had been sitting outside in a junkyard for God knows how long. That's how it happened to the original Enterprise too. And and the Galileo, the shuttlecraft from the original Star Trek, I should say. So so they, so prop store bought it and then spent like two years restoring it. And I want to say last year or the year before, ended up auctioning it off. And I like, wonder how much of that shit is just laying out in junkyards like that. You oh, know? It, incredible amounts of it. Because especially, just... especially in like this anytime early cinema, it wasn't really until like the 80s that the idea that things from movies became a collectible thing. Mm-hmm. Like so much of that shit was just thrown out or... Yeah. The, it was part of a uh, part of a collection that the studios owned, and they use them for multiple, multiple movies. Well, in two thousand one, after that, they destroyed the models because he didn't want a sequel to be made, so they had to go back and remake mm-hmm. all the models for two thousand and ten, um, and they were dead set against it. You also had this happen with uh, Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, where they did not want to give the Enterprise over to the director. So they were like, all right, well, they had to recreate the Enterprise, and then they made the Reliant, and when, at that point, the model making was a little bit better, so the Reliant was a lot lighter of a model. It was right. easier to work with and build and stuff, but they did not want to give the model for the Enterprise over for them to be able to do oh my God. the movie. One of the, uh, one of the things in the prop store auction is the Roger Young model from Starship Troopers. I barely remember it. Oh, yeah. Basically, just one of the big ships, spaceships yeah. from, from that movie, too, but yeah. Um, that was the big battle cruiser, if I remember. Right. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, I forget which company, but there's now a model company that makes a model kit for the uh, the Discovery from 2001. And it's huge. It's like four feet long, uh, like the whole model is. And I'd love to build it, but it's just another one of those I don't have a place to display it. So going back to the audiobook, though. It talks in the book a lot about how the Nostromo is, it's like, it says there, there's no room in the ship, there's no recreational stuff in the ship, because all they were supposed to be doing is, when they were awake, they were moving stuff around and getting cargo and stuff like that, and any other time, they were expected to be sleeping in the sleeping pods. Right. So, it's it's makes it a point to discuss, like, how it really is, it's just like a tugboat. It, there's no, there's, that's, there's no room on there for anything, like the mess hall is really messed up and small, and it's just a really cramped ship, because... The crew wasn't expected to be awake to be out doing stuff. It was like you're, when you're working, you're either the only time you're awake is when you're working, and when you're not working, you're in the sleep chambers, right. you know, heading between planets or what have you. And it was just neat to hear that stuff in the book and how everything is described. And it goes into a lot more detail describing how the characters are. But when they're describing the characters, because I've seen the movie, when they're talking about Ripley, I of course picture Sigourney Weaver, right. you know, uh, Dutch. You know, I, I picture all the people from the movie. And what's really cool is that. Again, this came out before the movie did, and they did a really good job of matching up the characters in the movie to how they are in the book. 
where a lot of times when you when somebody's cast, it's like it's their rendition of the character or what have right, you. Right, right. And it was so it makes me have a lot more appreciation for that movie as to how well Ridley Scott matched everything to the book as best as he could. So you know, and that that was like um, th- this might be knowledge to you when they were building the props for that movie to save on costs when they're walking around the spacesuits. Those are the director's kids in those spacesuits because it would have cost so much money to make the, the sets so much larger that it was easier for them to make the sets smaller. And instead of putting actual full-size people into the spacesuits, when they're doing the large shots from back in the distance, they're showing oh, the yeah, 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 stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the kids. Those yeah, are the director's and, and, kids and in the spacesuits. And it's like 75% scale. Yeah. So, and, and it, it was a lot cheaper to do it that way. But it's, you know, now that it, and I've gone back and watched the scenes, and you can, now that I know about it, you can kind of tell that they're kids mm-hmm. in those spacesuits walking around. But they did that to cut costs. And it still looks cool. I'm like, that's kind of genius. Right. And that makes me go back to, like, I really like movies that use practical effects. And then there's now there's this trend going back to using practical effects as much as possible. Right. And putting stuff in there. But that was one of the things that made that movie so cool because it was so alien and so strange and so foreign that they used practical effects to make it look as cool as it did. And I think that's kind of why it still holds up. Um, and I've talked before about how I'm going back and rewatching Farscape. And that show is, is still holds up, but it doesn't hold up as well because like, there's scenes in there where you can look at it and go, yeah, the technology for special effects wasn't that great. Right. But the stories were still good stories, but it's still like, oh, man, like you're really into the show. And then you'll see like strings like they got these the Skeksis in there playing some alien race. But you can see the, the, the clear <gasps> oh the clear um, lines that are opening and closing, the fish lines that are opening and right, closing right. the mouth on the puppets. And it's kind of like, oh, it spoils the illusion for me. But still, you know. So, um. Two week or last week when the kids were out of school, one of the first things we did was we took them to the Henry Ford Museum to see the Jim Henson exhibit. Uh, because I'm I'm a huge Jim Henson fan. Oh, Dark Crystal's there. I didn't even thought about that. That makes sense. Yeah. They have one of the Skeksis there. Wow. Um, they have uh, the main characters from the uh, the Dark Crystal, whose names I can't remember. They have. Um, David Bowie's costume from the labyrinth, from the the ball scene, mm-hmm. and the mannequin that is holding the costume accurately portrays David Bowie's bulge. That's great. Thanks. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like one, like they have the count, one of the original count puppets from Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Um, they have one of the original Grovers. They have one of the one of the many Kermits there. Um, and then they have like one of my, one of my favorite skits from the Muppet show is it's there, there was this bluegrass band mm-hmm. and the first time you ever saw them, they're playing this, uh, bluegrass folk song called tomorrow. And it's about a guy who's trying to go to the town of Morrow, Ohio. So he's trying to go to Morrow. Yeah. It's a whole play on words and the whole song is just that. But one of the bluegrass players, one of the bluegrass puppets is Jim Henson. One of the other puppets is Frank Oz. And I forget who one of the other puppeteers is, but the puppets made to look like him. Mm -hmm. So it's all these, the puppeteers made these puppets to look like themselves and they're playing bluegrass music. And it's just one of my favorite skits. It is one of my favorite things from The Muppet Show. And they have those three puppets there. I really need to go to it because... They had the Marvel exhibit there during COVID, and I wasn't able to make it to that. And I'm I'm kicking myself for not being oh, able to go. Oh yeah, yeah. That that was really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm bummed that I couldn't see that. So I really want to go to the the Jim Henson Marvel exhibit. Not Jim Henson Marvel. The Jim Henson exhibit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it shows so, like the history of Jim Henson, and like the evolution of some of the puppets, and and just it's a really in depth exhibit. So let's talk about. I'm, I'm going to be well, careful. Well, well hold on, because there's something I want to go to first. Okay. Because we're talking about movies, and we are standing on the precipice of The Black Widow finally being released. Mm-hmm. After almost two years of delays and COVID and all this, we are, I think, two weeks from this being out. And every review that I've heard and read and saw, everybody says that it's really, really good, and it was worth the wait. Right. The only downside is, you know, she dies. Right. But, um, but it's, it's so now, um, as of last week, all COVID restrictions were released or lifted in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. So are we going to the movies for this one? 
my wife wants to go, so I'm going to say yes. Now, the question is, is do we, is renting a theater still an option? I think private showings are still an option for this. Okay. So, I, I'm all for it, but I kind of, I would like to do, I would like to do the private theater thing. Because we're, we're going to, we've established that we're going to try to do that for Dune. Mm. Oh, definitely for so, Dune. Um, oh, God, I want to see Dune. So, I, w- I would love to do a private theater thing where it's just us and our people and get a theater because there's a there's another podcast that's doing it in Vegas. Apparently, they've they've already done it, and well, you know, it's Vegas, of course, so it's going to make ten seats left. Right. But um, yeah, find the information out in it, and I'd be interested in doing an O and D, you know, meet up with as O and D at the movies. Yeah, O and D at the movies would be really cool. Oh man, that'd be great. We could see if we could get uh, a little bit of extra time and have like the road the road set there and record. Well, right. if not, I got a Zoom now, which is pretty good. So right, we could do we could do the Zoom thing if possible if you wanted to. But, so but yeah, we're, I'm interested in it. Yeah, but we're at a point where it's um, conventions are starting to happen yeah. now. Yeah. Um, most of my can most of my conventions for this year would have happened before the restrictions are lifted, but uh, the Michigan GT, which is a miniature convention I go to in Lansing, is happening. Tickets go on sale next week. How much is that? Um, it's you, there's not a fee to go to the convention. You pick the events you want to play and then you register for the events. I would probably be going just for the trade shows. There's there's only, yeah, yeah, there's like half a dozen vendors that are there. Um, but I know they are playing Blood Bowl. Yeah. Again, though, I'm so, so busy right now. Yeah, no, no. Like uh, Jake and Tom over at, you know, uh, Jake and Tom really want us to go up north and hang out with them. And I'm like date time you know like when you know well and and they were talking about the uh grand rapids comic con yeah but i can't make it to that either it's, yeah it's just too hard I, I want to but i can't but are are so. you are you ready to go back to con oh yeah i am yeah i'm not i'm because i'm vaccinated you know mm. and i'm not worried about it i've already been around people who have had covid since i've been vaccinated and i'm fine um I'm fine. Yeah, I'm I'm completely ready to go back to cons. I'm not I'm not scared or worried about it at all. I, I've I, maybe you know so there's probably people out there probably laughing at me right now, but I'm not worried about it. <laughs> well, so. and it's it's um I was talking to somebody at work the other day, and they're like, "Oh, what's this movie about?" And I'm like, "Shit, I I don't know. I haven't seen anything about a movie being released in over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only movie I know anything about coming out soon is Black Widow." Yeah, the, the Marvel stuff is all we know about. Right. It's really it, because that's the only thing that's out there that really holds any interest to us, movie-wise. I don't know what else is really coming out uh, that's movie-wise that I, I would be interested in going and seeing, other than Marvel and Dune. You know, that's it. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, yeah, it's just this weird time where we're like, oh, movie... like, Well, we're, really, because, because Marvel had this one in the barrel already, ready to fire. Right. So... You know, it's kind of like if it wasn't for Black Widow coming out, it would still be like, yeah, movies are open, but what are we going to go see? You know, I, w- I wonder if they're going to have any other movies this year. Oh, uh, yeah. You got Shang-Chi coming out Marvel wise. But is that coming out this year? Or is yeah. that coming out next year? No, I think it's coming out this year. Um, actually, there's like I think there's three Marvel movies coming out this year. Um, I, I think uh, the Eternals, yeah, Shang-Chi, the, the and, Eternals, yeah, the, the Eternals, which we're still going to go see. Yeah. It's oh. like Star Wars. Like we know we're, we're going to go, it's Star Wars could release a movie and I'm like, like the last three movies, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't want to, I, I thought they were going to suck. They pretty much did suck, but I still went and saw them, you know, I, the same thing with Marvel. It's like Marvel's going to come out and I'm really not interested other than Black Widow in the movies that are coming out, but I'm still going to go see them because it's Marvel and you know, but, um. Okay, so Shang-Chi is coming out September 3rd. Yeah. Um, so we're, Loki's out. Yeah. Uh, we're three episodes into Loki. We yeah. haven't, we haven't had a chance to talk since Loki's been out. Yeah. So, so there may be spoilers coming. There, there will definitely there will be, spoilers. be spoilers coming. There's spoilers coming, so if you haven't watched the show yet, um, there will be spoilers coming. Yeah, this this is your chance to bow out gracefully, yeah. but yeah, otherwise, spoil it. Here there be spoilers. Here there be spoilers. The Loki show, the Loki show. To be honest with you, I really didn't care that much for it. Now, but since the last episode, my opinions changed on it. It was a real slow burn for me. I watched it because again, it's Marvel. Um, it was good, but it wasn't. I didn't think it. I just wasn't as into it, but I was still watching it. Now, with the last episode, 
um, I'm beginning to put things together and see that there's a much bigger picture in the Marvel universe going on with this show. Um, and the last episode actually it had some excitement to it. It had some adventure to it. It actually it wasn't it wasn't as cerebral. Um, so I, I did like the last episode a lot better and now I'm actually more invested into the show. Um, but my, here's my theory. Um, I really believe that King the Conqueror is actually the one that's pulling the strings behind the scene. We now know that the time control organization, um, are not the good guys. They're not the people that you're led to believe because everybody there is a variant that they've pulled. Like he was told, oh yeah, this was created. We are all created by the time Lords, blah, blah, blah. I know it's Doctor Doctor Who, but still. Um, <laughs> well, well that, that was that was my uh, that was how I pegged it as it was like oh so this is just Tom Hiddleston as Doctor Who. Kind of yes and no. Um, I like the Sophie character a lot, and if you read the um, the comic run where Jane Foster becomes Thor, which is what Thor: Love and Thunder is going to be, Loki in that comic book was the female Loki. So by doing Sophie, the female Loki, they're setting her up to pop up in the next Thor movie, Love and Thunder. So I'm sure she'll be back for that. The other thing is, there's been a lot of talk at Marvel about the Secret Wars coming up. Now, if they follow the comic book, you didn't like Secret Wars? I hated Secret Wars. Secret Wars 1 was okay. Secret Wars 2 was dumb. Um, The thing is, is in Secret Wars, they pull everybody to this pocket dimension to have these battles and stuff like that. Well... Where the time variance, uh, the time variance central, their location is a pocket dimension. I personally really believe that it is the city that you saw in the background and Ant Man and the Wasp in the Quantum Realm, which you saw in a brief scene really quickly because the people at Marvel were like, "Go back and watch that movie and pay real close attention to that scene." They never really said why, and all you saw, oh, there's there's a, there's a little there's a little tiny city in the background for like a brief scene, and they've already casted Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror is going to be the next major villain in the next Ant Man movie. So I think that this show is setting up, A, it's setting up the multiverse, which could lead very well, now that they've established what variants are, now you have the setup for the next Spider-Man movie, which is the worst kept secret in Marvel. It's going to have all three Spider-Men in it. Yeah. So there's your variants right there, the variants of Spider-Man. They're all variants of the Spider-Man from different timelines or however the hell they're going to do it. So it sets that up. You've also got the Scarlet Witch thing, uh, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, all of this stuff, I think, is tying into this show. Um, and Tom Hiddleston himself has said that if you watch the show, it's going to unfold very much the way that The Wizard of Oz does. When you get to the end of the show and what you think is actually going on and what you've been led to believe is going on, when they pull the curtain back, it's actually something far different. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's going to happen to it. And now that I've been watching the show and piecing all these things together, my theories... Um, as last time we were talking about theories on our show, some of my theories are right, some of my theories were wrong, which doesn't bother me. You know, that's <laughs> cool. I'm fine with it. Um, but I think that's where this is going. And plus this, and the other thing is that's already been greenlighted. Before it even aired, it was greenlighted for a second season. Right. Yeah, now I'm getting into the show. I'm beginning to like it a lot. I'm beginning to... Um... Well, and it's... Now the question is, not to cut you off, we know how the enchant. She explains how her enchanting power works, where she takes people to a memory and she manipulates that memory. So, what's going on here? They're both Loki. They're both mischievous. They they're, they're Loki. They're going to do the weird stuff that they do. So, is Loki being enchanted right now? Um, is he actually on this planet that's about to blow up, or is this the enchantress just playing a head game on him or whatever? Or is Loki playing something on his end? Does he have his own game going? Plus, there's another thing. They're running through the city, and a big building's about to fall on them, and Loki stops and makes the building go back. So does Loki have a time stone that he stole from the... Does he have one of the Infinity Stones that he stole from the Time Variant Association? Because they don't work there. So when he goes back into a normal timeline, do those stones work, and does he have one? I know that's a weird little thing, the side tangent, but I'm very curious about that. Continue. <laughs> so started starting at episode one, they basically it opens up showing the scene from Avengers... Where Loki or Hulk comes down the stairs, as Hulk hates stairs, kicks the box open. Loki gets the the Tesseract mm-hmm. and disappears and reappears in Mongolia. And as he is dusting himself off, that's when the time variant people appear and say, oh, you're a variant. And they take him. And... I love the likes going back to aliens. 
the seventies kind of retro futurism of yeah. the Time Variance Authority. It, it's the it, little cartoon, the typewriter kind of keyboards. Yeah, yeah. everything's got this like seventies seventies futuristic vibe. Like the Time Variance buildings remind me so much of the Renaissance Center downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like that, just that vibe yeah. of this is what somebody in the seventies thought the future was going to look like and no 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 well of that. it always goes that way the art deco movement you know all the future is never what we think it's going to be but in some ways those futures that aren't the way they're supposed to look are just as cool as their own thing it goes back to like neuromancer and all like the, the, the way right, that neuromancer right. describes how the future is going to be it's never completely actually right yeah, you know? william gibson still to this day beats himself up for not being able to predict that uh, payphones were going to go the way of the dodo. Um, but still, but you, you know? So, and then we're introduced to that he's a variant, and what happens to variants is they're captured, and they're either disintegrated, or we don't know, we just see them being disintegrated. Yeah. Then, uh, which Wilson is it? Luke or Owen? I think it's Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. uh, Mobius. Mobius. Yeah, his name's Mobius in the show. So Owen Wilson comes in and he recruits Loki to help him track down this other variant. And then at the very end of the first episode, we find out that the other variant is another Loki. And when they do that, he shows like a little holographic effect with other Lokis. Yeah. And you see, like, the Hulk troll. Loki. Yeah the, yeah. yeah, the troll Loki and all that. The actual Norse Loki, a female Loki, all these different ones. But I was it, kind of led to... I thought that his whole the whole show was going to be him hunting down different Lokis and not just the one. Oh, oh, and we're forgetting the best part. The uh, finding out that Loki was D.B. Cooper, mm-hmm. and it was because he lost a bet to, to Thor. Thor. Yes. So, so they brought back the whole thing of Loki and Thor doing these weird bits together. Well, they said what they wanted to do is they they had Loki as a character, but they said, well, let's explore what's going on with Loki when he's not right. around Thor. Right. And I was like, I, I was kind of like, where's this show going? You know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and what I'm leaning up to is what I believe is the most important part of the first episode is that scene where Mobius is showing Loki the real that's essentially the greatest hits of Thor's or the greatest hits of Loki's life. And he's like, well, you're the God of mischief, but what does it mean to be the mischief? Well, I'm going to rule. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not the ruler. You're the God of mischief. Mm -hmm. And he's like, your job, you exist to have people foil you and be better versions of themselves after. Mm hmm. And I think that is going to be, in the end, be a super, super important point of the plot is that idea that Loki is the person who makes people better by foiling him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to lead to something big with Mobius. I think that's going to lead to Sylphie becoming her own character. Oh, yeah, I absolutely believe that, which Um, is one of the reasons why she said, I don't go by Loki anymore. I go by Sophie now. Because Enchantress and Sophie, yeah, Sophie, yeah, that that was already a character in the Marvel comic books anyways, so all they did was kind of meld those two right, characters right. together. Um, I don't think he has a time stone, he just has his own magical power. Yeah. So like, she, she's like, oh, you're a halfway powerful uh, sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh my god, the scene in the second episode where they go to the Renaissance Festival. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, so many memories. Yeah, it's. That, I'll say another thing. Like again, Marvel has has really put a good budget into these shows. This one especially. Yeah. Um, well, this was I the mean, only one that wasn't affected by COVID. Apparently, the other two shows were affected by COVID because of everything that was happening. This show was not. And um, you know they they did exactly what they wanted to do to the, with this show because they weren't impeded by anything. Right. So you know. Oh, and I I love the fact that uh, Miss Minutes is Tara Strong. Mm-hmm. Um. I love. Kind of like the the just the the time variance authority reminds me of the central bureaucracy from Futurama. Little known fact: um, in the Spider-Man Two with the Vulture in it, they use that exact same building. That is a hotel in Atlanta, and there is a scene in okay, Spider-Man Sp- Spider- One, Spider-Man Homecoming. 
was yeah and with the vultures flying down from the ceiling it is that hotel so they've used that sony has used that hotel and now marvel has used that hotel that ho- that building with the really crazy how the elevators are how it's shaped and stuff um, so are we done with the loki thing though because we kind of just went right out of that i think this i don't know if there's too much more we can say about loki at this point really yeah um, um watch it it's it's amazing we get we gotta we gotta talk a little bit about rick and morty okay yes i was gonna say because we're about done here but um Rick and Morty, yeah. I, Mr. Nimbus! I love how he's like, well, for one, he's a, he's a spoof on Namor. Right. Obviously. Uh, okay, okay. Before we get into this, uh, right now, you can go on YouTube and watch the first episode of Rick and Morty free. Yeah. So even if you didn't watch it on Cartoon uh, Network or you don't have one of the, the places where they show it streaming, you can watch the first episode for free on YouTube. Go and watch it now. It's Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> the best line well there's a lot that's the problem with rick and morty there's so many good lines in the show that well and it was the whole like subplot of so he he's gotta have this dinner with mr nimbus and well, mr no Nim- the ship is about the rick's ship is about ready to crash and morty calls uh that girl up and he's like yeah i'm sorry i couldn't work out and she's like well can, jennifer you, yeah jennifer she's, she's like do you want to hang out tonight you know, do you want to watch a movie together? And he's like, oh. so he finally like figures out a way to land the ship because Jennifer wants to go on a date with Morty and Morty's in love with her. So he crashes the ship. He, he manages to save it and he crashes into the ocean. And, and you know, Rick's all like, you fucking dumbass. You, you touched the water. You never touched the water. Blah, blah, blah. And um, so then Nimbus pops up and Nimbus is a spoof on Namor from Marvel, except for he's ultra... He's, well, I don't want to say he's Freddie Mercury-ish, but... He, he's a very sexual creature. Very. Let, let's just give it at that. Like the overly... Like, did you notice every time he moved around, like, his crotch would wiggle a little bit? Yes. Like, and, um... It's like, he's super sexualized. He shows up. Apparently, him and Morty had some kind of a treaty where Morty wasn't allowed to touch... Uh, I mean, uh, Rick wasn't allowed to touch the ocean. So, um... Because one of these because yeah. in my mouth. because Rick violated the treaty, they have to renegotiate it. Yep. So Mr. Nimbus is coming to dinner. Yeah, and to Mr. Nimbus likes wine, so Rick opens a portal to a dimension where time moves faster. So they age the wine there. Yeah, and they're aging the wine there. Um, and of course, mom and dad come up. We're sexual positive now. We watch porn together. And yeah, like Summer walks in, she's got the best line. She's like, "Time to lick tits," and they're like, "What?" You know, and she likes to like zip up her shirt and stuff. There's all of these great lines in the show yeah. where it's just, it's just gold. Like it's, they say so much funny shit in these episodes. It's hard for me to remember all of them. I have to go back and rewatch them again and again and again. But so Morty goes back to like, Jessica comes over. Uh, Morty goes back to get the wine and there is a, a dog person there who helps him move the wine into his realm. But when the dog person goes back, because he's been in our realm where time moves differently he goes back to his dimension. Like 30 and years later or something yeah, like that. His wife is dead. His child is a adult and kills his father because his father left them. Mm-hmm. And they now they hate Morty. Yeah. And, and every time he goes back to get another bottle of wine, he fucks something up even more in that timeline. Right. And eventually they build this whole castle around the spot where the wine Well, it, And it's. So when he Morty asks Rick about like well time moves differently so it's a Narnia thing he goes I'm not a beaver that believes in Jesus Christ Morty <laughs> yeah so like he goes back and they they're waiting for him and they like they beat him up and they knock out one of his teeth and he goes back to his realm and he's like all right fuck this Narnia shit yeah. and like comes back and he kills everything locked and loaded yeah so then he goes back again. And this guy's like, ah, oh, I've killed him. I'm ascending to power now. And this other guy comes up behind him and kills that guy and says, my whole life has been based on a lie, blah, blah, blah. And then Morty shows up. The guy goes, oh, he's real. Oh, my God. You know? Right. This is how, like, he's only going to this realm long enough to grab a bottle of wine and go back into the other realm. And, and him building being... this whole mythology yeah. out of it. Yeah. It's, it's just hysterical. Uh, and, then, and then, like, he he leaves a, uh, a, a like, a technology glove there that he was using as a weapon and they reverse engineer it. And then they become like this super advanced sci-fi yeah. race. It's kind of like the episode with the snakes in space, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
like how he just goes and just fucks with all these alternate dimensions and timelines by just doing the simplest stupidest shit. Like all he's doing is going and getting a crate of wine and just getting that crate, just getting the and then the, the Nimbus guy just keeps busting these bottles of wine right. and saying, "Bring me more wine." And then he uh, he makes uh, he gives uh, Rick and Morty uh, Morty's mom and dad a contract for a threesome, and it says something like "not responsible for death due to orgasm" or something like that. And she's uh, like, "Should we do?" And he's like, "I don't know. What if I fall in love with him?" <laughs> All this shit. Then, then Jessica gets drawn into the the Narnia dimension, and Morty has to go and rescue her with Rick. But they've advanced so much that they're even more advanced than Rick. Yeah, and they end up having to get saved by Mister Nimbus. And you find out that Nimbus and Rick had this whole history where they used to adventure together, but then they became enemies. And when they get back to the normal world, Jessica's like. I've seen time and space yeah. and like, she's now the star child from 2001. Yeah. She's like, I don't think we should do this. We're not going to, like, okay, I guess we had our time. But the funny thing is summer shows up at the end. They send summer to go and get this magical conch shell to be able to destroy Nimbus. And at the end of the episode, like they're all Rick, Rick and Nimbus all, are cool. Yeah. They're cool. They're going to be buddies again. And then she shows up with this conch shell. She's like, I got the conch shell. And he's like, no, you were supposed to destroy it. So she blows the conch shell and it fucks everything up again. Nim- Nimbus becomes all buff and he's just beating the shit out of Rick. <laughs> yeah. Th- that show was like, uh, I, it's like, I don't know. The only thing I compare it to is the modern Simpsons because it's just like, it's like, how can they keep getting funnier and funnier with this? Right, how can they right. keep doing it? You know? And, and which, to turn it around again, the writers from Rick and Morty were the ones that worked on the Loki show. Mm-hmm. So they're used to dealing with all this time variant and dimensional stuff like that. Well, and it, it's okay. So Rick is one of those characters who is just a despicable human being. Yeah. And the people who idolize Rick are really missing the point. Yeah. And in the last season or two of the show, they've really taken a hard stance of, yes, Rick is a despicable human being and everybody else is like starting to realize that and be better themselves mm-hmm. and not rely on Rick so much. And I kind of like that direction that the Which show is going. Which kind of goes back to what you were saying about Loki. Loki makes better people better by foiling his plans. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it all kind of ties in here. It's all comes It's all interconnected, man. It's all interconnected. The raccoons are working for the CIA, man. I'm telling you. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I just forgot. Um, On that table, there is a paper bag uh, with handles on it. Rock, paper, scissors. I have been handed a paper bag with black handles on the top of it. Yeah. So um, a couple of weeks ago, it was Lisa's birthday, uh, my girlfriend Lisa, and we were out in Ann Arbor, and we were going through all the, like, cute little shops in Ann Arbor, Uh and I saw this, and it's so specifically was for you that I had to buy it. Is it the Suckmaster 9000? No, no, they they didn't have that. I'm afraid to put my hand in here. I feel like I'm putting my hand in the box of Dune. You know, you're going to put a gum, gum jabar. Yeah, you're going to put a gum jabar to my neck or whatever. Yeah, uh, so this is a little, little something special for you. There's a black cup. Who... Who run the world? Squirrels. Oh, my God. <laughs> Be- because you are the lord of the squirrels. Yes. I, I, the, there is a new batch of squirrels in my backyard. They're babies, and they're slowly, slowly starting to warm up to me. Um, I do miss the squirrels that used to, as much as the pains in the ass as the squirrels that I used to have were, the squirrels that I used to have in my backyard, I got these two massive um, cottonwood trees in my backyard. So... Um, the squirrels that were back there, I kind of became their pet. I don't want to say they became my pets, but they were cool. They'd come up and eat out of my hand and sit on my shoulder and stuff like that. And I was very gentle with them and very respectful with them. I did ever, I never tried to reach out and pet them or whatever. Um, and they, we were cool. So the wife and the kids would be like, you're really weird, you know, cause you've got these squirrels and shit. So anyhow, um, one of those squirrels had babies this year. And the old squirrels, like, there was actually times where they would come up and, like, stand at the window, the screen window on the back porch, and they would scratch on the window, like, hey, feed us, feed us, human, feed us. Um, one of them was really sick one time, and I actually made it a point to f- constantly feed that squirrel and stuff until it got better, and that's kind of how I became Squirrel Man, um, with my superpowers of being able to control squirrels. So, you fucked with squirrels, Morty! Yeah, so my wife, one day, she was getting up to go to church on the morning, or she was getting up to go do something somewhere or whatever, and she walked out on the front porch, and they were sitting on the railing on my front porch just looking at her, 
like one of them was on the steps and they were looking actually what they were doing is they were they were wanting some food or some treats or something my wife's like i can't go outside so she went to go out the back door sure shit there was another squirrel on the back porch sitting on a table next to our back window like going hey where's my food you know so I, and she's like, I can't go out of the house because your damn squirrels are guarding the house. They're not letting me out. And she's terrified. I'm just, just walk by them. They're not going to hurt you. So I actually had to go outside with like crackers, Ritz crackers and throw them out in the yard. So the squirrels would run out to the yard so she could get off the porch to get inside of her truck to be able to leave. Um, and there was another time I was um, doing something. I was moving something inside out of the house and I left the back screen door open as I was taking stuff outside. I went to the house grass. So I come back. And one of the little shits ran into the kitchen and <laughs> hopped up on one of the chairs in the kitchen and was like sitting there like bashing its tail, like making the noise. Right. And I'm like, no, okay, you can't. I, I mean, I, I'm okay with you coming in the house, but you're going to get stuck in here or something. I'm like, so I had to like, like kind of like shush it. But the thing is, it's like you would expect a squirrel to like run away from you. Like you grab the broom and try to push it. And it wasn't running away. It was like, hey, I want my food, man. So I got the squirrel in the house and I'm trying to get out of the house. So, um. I have this weird like ability when I was down in Florida last year, I went to St. Augustine and I went up to this machine and they were, they were selling like uh, snacks and stuff like that. So I grabbed me, I'm eating these snacks and all of a sudden I look up and there's this circle of squirrels around me and my friend comes out of the bathroom and they're like, holy shit, you, it is, you know, so I just lay down on the ground and I'm just like feeding these squirrels by hand as they're running up to me. So I have become known as the Squirrel Master, like the movie Beastmaster with Kevin, whatever the hell his name was, I don't remember. They had the pet ferrets. Kevin well, or Kevin Sorbo? No, no, it's, I was going to say it's not. That's not Kevin Sorbo. I just all, said that. All like, I remember was the from, ferrets from the eighties. HBO stood for Hey Beastmasters on. Yes, exactly. Um, and he had the pet ferrets and stuff. And, right. You know, so I like my superpower is I have I, I have um, animal friendliness with squirrels, which is. You know, so when they do rule the world, I will probably have a special place in their heart. And, you know, and I, I will gladly serve my squirrel masters when that day comes. I have no problem with that. I, for one, welcome our squirrel overlords I I, and the rise of their nut-based empire. I do. I, I actually do. Um, and I, I go out there all the time. and I still feed the ones in my backyard and stuff. And, you know, I, t I kind of take care of the squirrels. And I wish I could do that with ravens. I wish I could. Oh, my God, yes. I wish I, I wish there were, enough there were enough ravens or crows around here that I could befriend some with shiny yeah, objects. I, I would love to do that. I would love to go out and feed them. And it, Well, when I, I went out down to a trip in Kentucky recently, and there was ravens there. There were crows or ravens or whatever. And uh, we were sitting on drinking beer and stuff, and we left the beer caps sitting on the counter. And we heard the crows out in the trees. We heard ravens or crows. I don't remember what they were. We heard them. And we come back out the next day and those are gone. And there's little trinkets and stuff laying there. So for the three days that I was there, I was doing this weird little gift exchange with these birds. Right. And my friend that came down to hang out with me, they're like, what the hell? They left like these little glass stones there that we use for gaming. Um, and so I would leave, um, I, I would leave like a piece of tinfoil and some bottle caps and like the little tops of a beer can out there. And the next day we'd come out the next morning and there'd be something else there. So we were doing this weird like gift exchange back and forth with these birds. I completely forgot to tell you about that. And it was so cool, but I was trying to watch to see them land so I could get pictures of them doing it. But I never, I never actually saw them do the whole gift exchange thing. The really weird part is the last day that I was there, I was getting ready to leave and I get out to my car and there was two of those glass stones sitting on the hood right in the middle <laughs> of my car. So they gave me a parting gift of little glass stones. And I've always wanted to have a friendship with crows and ravens or so forth, you know. I just think it would be really neat. But no, I get squirrels. And, you know, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'll take what I can get, you know. Yeah. So that's a little, a little something special for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's cool. I like it. <laughs> I like it. This is going to go upstairs into my into my game room thing up there. I've been getting weird gifts. Reality's weird for me. Things happen in strange patterns. So I've been getting these weird gifts. The the forces that be uh, manifesting cups. Like I found this really cool brand new purple nice size Yeti cup in my front yard, which I love. I took it and cleaned it all up and sanitized it and did anything wrong with it. And then my sister gave me um, another kind of Yeti-like cup that says Rojan on it, and it's got the Nordic runes on it. And then now you give me this cup. So I, I, it's, it's, it's an odd situation. Like we're just, like cups are coming into my life now. I'm not really sure what the cosmic meaning behind all of this is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, this is cool. That my wife's gonna get a kick out of this. My wife and kids are both gonna laugh at this. Who runs the world, squirrels? <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. I, I appreciate it very much. And with that. Uh, we can call this episode done. You can find us on the Old Nerds Drinking Facebook group. Come for the podcast. Stay for the memes. 
or you can email us directly at oldnerdsdrinking at gmail.com. But for tonight, I'm John Patrick, the Master Control Program. Oh, and this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. Check out my show, Project Archivist, um, which just covers the wonderful, the weird, and the strange. Your your computer, I gotta, I'm, I'm sorry, but your computer has a face on the back of it here. When the show's over, I'll show you. It's got two eyes. Oh, no, eyes. no, no, I, I 100% know there's a face in the back it's of my computer. It's got these weird little teeth back here. And, and, it, and where the power supply is, is the mouth, yeah, and it screams. Yeah. So I'm sorry to derail the end of the show, but I'm trying to take a picture of this and send it to a friend of mine, because I'm recording a show with this weird, goofy face staring at me the whole, the whole show. I keep looking over at this weird, goofy face. So, yeah, peace, folks. Take care. Uh, stop and listen to my show when you can. And with that... End of line.